I wasn't good at college, is what I'm saying. And <laughs> oh, so why I, not? <laughs> mostly because I was doing stand up uh, seven yeah, nights a sense. week, and I yeah. that the first semester I got a one point eight. The Damn. first semester I did stand up comedy, I got a one point eight at college, and then luckily the club burned down, so I, <laughs> I could concentrate on my college career. Anyway. everyone welcome to comedy girl crush podcast i'm kate siegel i'm nikki urban and our guest today is the god that is jackie cation this is huge this This is is huge huge. this is huge huge this is huge this one feels huge speaking of feelings how are you feeling oh how am i feeling i feel pretty good i have shabbat uh, services tonight uh, Uh, my conversion class Uh, we are actually going to my first official like temple service so how exciting that'll be fun looking forward to that nice 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 yeah I don't know having a dog yeah living living life doing good living life living a dream today I uh, I helped a friend put down their cat actually it was a seat uh, C.K. Kimball, uh, who we had on as a guest, um, and it was a uh, it, it was an interesting experience in in multiple ways. Like, um, uh, it's something that was kind of I don't know, just kind of fascinating and funny is that just like how many jokes we were making because you know that's that's I think both of us process grief through humor, right? It's this ongoing theme that we have. <laughs> Our <laughs> comedian friends is making jokes and finding a way to laugh. Honestly, it was very fascinating to be in this in this experience of, you know, a friend having to say goodbye to uh, a cat that they loved for so long, uh, for 17 years. And, you know, every time she would cry, she'd apologize. And I'd be like, CK, like, don't apologize. You're allowed to be sad. You're like, we don't have to make jokes about it. As, uh, I'm always impressed by uh, how people are able to set aside a natural feeling inside of them to either accommodate other people or just to accommodate their own brain from not being able to handle the reality of the sad. I think about it in terms of like when we stand up too, when people talk about like how the fucking shit that stand up can be. And I feel like to keep doing stand up, your brain kind of has to compartmentalize like the times when you wanted to fucking die on stage (laughs) so that you can keep going up and doing it uh y'all stand-ups impress me i know it's uh same like anybody who can do it that consistently uh danielle talked about that in our last episode Mm -hmm. the grind yeah yes the grind grind that grind uh and then it was it it was interesting uh interviewing danielle and hearing her talk about that grind and saying oh that grind wasn't for me like i'm a writer and then hearing like jackie who's like yeah stand up is this for me i love stand up 35 years of doing stand up just stand up it's great i mean not just stand up obviously she she acts and produces and uh, does all of all of the things but uh but she's a fucking stand up 
like she's a stand up. Yeah, she's legit. A she's like the epitome of like a fucking com- like stand up comedian. Mm-hmm. And you know, like George Carlin was a stand up. Like yes. he could do other things, and he did plenty of other things very very well. But I feel like in that man's soul, he was a fucking stand up comedian. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Oh, and we are so lucky to have uh, Jackie on. She's, of course, a stand-up oh, comedian. Hi. Oh. Stand-up comedian, podcaster, actor. You know we're from the Jackie and Lori show on the podcast, The Dork Forest. And, of course, her special has just been released, Staycation, which is really, really incredible. Jackie, it's so awesome to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. This should be super fun. Woo. Oh, Kip, uh, super excited to have you on. I think you are our most prolific stand-up. Yes. I can say that pretty definitively. You are the most prolific stand-up we've had on the podcast. Oh, very exciting. All right. very special. Yeah, that does. Very exciting <laughs> here. And, and even though I only put out albums every three to five years, so very weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's impressive. Right. This is, you know, a full hour of hilarious material. I mean, I'm not saying that each, because each, each of my albums are a gem. Yes. uh, And so, and each one better than the last. So don't listen to them in reverse order. Um, So, uh, but yes, it is. uh, Sometimes people are like, they put out an album every two years. And I'm like, I'm still cleaning things up at two years. It's so funny that you say that because I feel like, you know, newer comedians have that same experience, but with open mics where they're like, oh, I don't feel, you know, I'm not prolific because I'm oh. not going out and doing five open mics a night. It's like, Oh, right, right. And then there's the comics who are like, well, I got 40 minutes. And I'm like, I have seen your seven. You do not have 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you are out of your mind. So, 30, 30 minutes of what crowd What do you work. do for that? Yeah. I don't believe you. How about that? <laughs> so, very, very brutal. Talking about how you got into it, we can take it back sure. to the beginning. It's a tale as old as 1984. <laughs> um, so well, there was an I open guess. mic. Yeah. So you guys, you guys have heard of 84, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your, your, little... your parents, your parents were in high school. Yes, I remember. <laughs> and, uh, so I was in college. I was 19. There was an open mic. I went to it in Madison, Wisconsin, and it was super, um, it was like falling into a vat of heroin or what I imagined falling into a vat of heroin would be like, because I loved it right away, right away. That's what I always say whenever anybody's like, I want to do stand up. And I'm like, then just do it because you will know immediately whether you actually want to do stand up or if you want to be a writer. Because that's something else, mm-hmm. and which is also amazing. Mm-hmm. But the, you have to hang out. You have to tolerate a lot of banana heads. And you have to navigate. You have to hang out so much. So much hanging out. <laughs> the hanging out. So the hanging out is like a part. It's a part of the, the coming up, right? Oh, for sure. It's just like, oh, okay. Hopefully, you know, eventually then the booker gets to know you and the club owner gets to know you and the... The, the other comics who do shitty one-nighters get to know you and you get to know about shitty one-nighters and you get, you know, some old dinosaur person who's like, will you come with me? How's your car? Can you drive? Okay, I'll give you $50. <laughs> It'll only cost you $20 to do the set, set. And, you know, the whole, I mean, it's, it's there's because there's no money in it until there's money in it and then there's 
very little money in it until you maybe make a living at it. So, and that living can be, there's so much, because there's no, you know, union or standardized pay, right? Right. So it's all a blur. So before you started stand-up, were you in performance at all? Did you perform, like, in high school? I was in the marching band. Hell yes. Oh, fuck yeah. What do you play? I played the clarinet, but in the marching band, I played the trumpet. Ah. My younger sister played trumpet in the marching band. Marching band? Either of you? I, I played oboe, so I couldn't march. Yeah, marching oboe would be hard. Yeah. But trumpets, trumpets got to be fun, because you're just like, 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 you get to... Do that it's shinier. It's shinier. Yeah, and shinier. you can yeah. learn to spin it. I broke the bell on one oh, of my trumpets. No. Oh. Yeah. Just, I wasn't a, I'm, I wasn't a great trumpet player by any stretch of the imagination. That's that's the instrument that I learned to play in like the sixth grade. Uh, and then mm-hmm. immediately forgot after. <laughs> I remember feeling very cool with it. Like my mom put on like a jazz album and I was like playing and she's like, Oh, you're doing the notes exactly how it's going. I'm like no, I'm not, Mom. <laughs> you just love me. It's so beautiful, uh, our parents. Yeah. Yes, a, I always yeah. thought that my parents were the nicest people in the world to encourage us to take instruments. We all had to take an instrument. My sister took violin and I took viola. And I quit viola after a year. And my sister, she was now two years into violin. And she was like, we can quit? <laughs> what? <laughs> And she was so bad and she hated it so much that she knew that it was like, it was like just torture to my parents for her to practice. So that first year she practiced every day for hours and became really good at it. So by the time I quit, she was like, we can quit. Now I like it. And (laughs) that's so funny. I had the same experience with the oboe. My dad tried to pawn the oboe off on my older sister she was four years older. She quit. And then when I signed up for band, I wanted to play the flute. And he was like, no, you're going to play the oboe. So we own the oboe. an oboe. He's <laughs> like, you're playing this oboe. So he stuck me with the oboe. And then years after I started playing it, I found out that my older sister had played and quit. And I was like, wait, she got to quit? <laughs> Why? Why? I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> Uh, that's a shame, too, because, Kate, you got real flute playing lips. I really think I would have been a wonderful flautist. And I, the oboes, it's, uh, you know, oboes die of, like, aneurysms. Oh, uh, really? Aneurysms just because of the pressure on the brain? The pressure, yeah, yeah. On the brain, they die of aneurysms at, like, 45 sometimes. <sighs> it's wild. Uh, the oboe is, like, not an instrument for a long, healthy life. Right, right. <laughs> the, or the bagpipe, I would imagine. It's like mm-hmm. the, the, the football of, of music. <laughs> Uh, Head injuries. Speaking of football, yes. marching band. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was going to ask if the marching band made you like, like give you like the, the performance bug or were you just like, yeah, this is. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> what marching band did for me literally was it kind of, it was one of those, it was the first thing that kind of saved my life though, right? Oh, like the first yeah. thing that saved my life was books. The second thing that saved my life was marching band in high school. Because it, there was a sense of community there, and I wasn't good at it, and I wasn't a cool kid in marching band, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it, there was a genuine community, even though I wasn't, right? And then and then I did stand-up, and there was, um, yeah, then, then I was, I was, that's what literally gave me a voice of my own, so it was kind of awesome. You know, were you uh, into comedy before you started doing stand up? How did you kind of decide you wanted to try it? Oh, no. Oh, no. 
there was no comedy when I was a kid. Uh, my father's a salesman. We listened to sales pitches. We listened Stop to it. like Zig, Zig Ziglar. And, oh my God. Yeah. We you never, talk about your dad on your album. Yeah. Uh, there's so treasure, much dad. So funny. So many, so many dad stories. <laughs> and, but he, it was, so I have his timing and he's, he's the one who taught us how to pitch. He taught us perseverance. He taught us about the cold call. He taught us how to, you know, make the, just keep going, just keep swimming. But I get my sense of humor more from my stepmother, I think, who was a lot darker and funnier. And so that's, that's, but we never listened to, I mean, I remember the first stand-up I saw was Gallagher on Make Me Laugh, a game show. And then I, and then I think I saw him on Johnny Carson. Was he doing the watermelons at that time or? I don't know. He didn't do it on Johnny Carson. He had a giant couch behind him. It felt like a ripoff. I literally remember watching it going, why wouldn't that be funny? It's a giant couch. He's taking a shortcut is what I believed. Ooh, yeah. Prop comedy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Were you like, I could do this? No, I never, I never did think that. I always, I mean, I always assumed I could do anything. You know how everyone insists that they were, they have imposter syndrome. Yeah. I was literally raised to be an imposter. <laughs> uh, a very useful tool for living. In- incredibly useful. I was like, oh, uh, do you want to do this? And I'm like, sure. What does it pay? But yeah, people would be like, have you ever, um, like, it was like, do you know Excel? And I was like, I in my mind, I'd be like, no, but obviously I can learn it yeah. enough to do whatever you need me to do. So yeah, I need a job. <laughs> so yes, I know yes, Excel. I know Excel. <laughs> And then they're like, well, you said you knew this. And I was like, I will. I will know it. <laughs> Just give me a second. I'll figure it out. Like, if you can type 75 words a minute on a Selectric, you are fine. <laughs> you're going to be able to figure out Word. You know, you're going to figure out, be able to figure out some sort of Word document. I have several brain cells I can rub together to <laughs> figure out how to Because when I, when I started doing stand-up, that's all I wanted to do, right? Uh, I didn't want to finish college. And my sister, who, by the way, uh, made me do so many things, the boss of me. And I appreciated them in the end. But she was like, no, you have to finish college. She's like, it's just another three years. Come on. Oh. And, and then I did another year. And I was like, seriously, I should quit college. And she's like, it's just another three years. I wasn't good at college is what I'm saying. And <laughs> oh, so why I, not? <laughs> mostly because I was doing stand-up uh, seven yeah, nights a sense. week. And I, yeah. the, the first semester, I got a 1.8. The Damn. first semester I did stand-up comedy, I got a 1.8 in, at college. And then luckily the club burned down. So I, <laughs> I could come straight to my college. Anyway. Okay, so you just kind of got into stand-up. But had, you, had you had you gone to the club before? Or you no, just like, first day, time. Like, I'm going to do a fucking open mic. Nope, I went to the club i heckled a guy they told me to shut the fuck up i wouldn't shut up they were like they literally said open mic is in three weeks you have to shut up and so i came back three weeks later and did open mic and it was like falling into a vat of heroin and i did it and i hung out with just some dirt baggy men some ding baddy men and some perfectly nice and varying degrees of funny not in that order you know <laughs> yeah yeah so did you how long did you do stand up in wisconsin before you did you move to la from there did you go to chicago where did you minneapolis so i did i did it was 84 to 88 and then in 88 i went to uh, cape cod worked a bunch went to london 
for like Ooh. six, eight months. And, oh, it was one of the dumbest. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was on a work exchange program. So I worked at a youth hostel from six in the morning until nine in the morning. And then from 11 in the morning until uh, 9 p.m. And then I drank at the youth hostel until 1 a.m. And then I worked at the youth hostel from six in the morning until nine in the morning. And then the movie theater yes. from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. <laughs> and I did that for a couple of months. <laughs> I didn't go to London, but I traveled around Europe a little bit after college, and I drank with a lot of people who were doing what you were doing. That's <laughs> it. There was, it was there were people, other people did it better, and it was fine. I did stand up twice there in in uh, Leicester. I worked at a movie theater in Leicester Square, and the comedy store was in the basement. In this is in eighty nine, and I did two open mics there and ate it. Ate it, ate it, ate it, ate it. And then uh, came home, lived with my sister and her partner at the time for the winter. She got me a job at uh, whatever, at at her office, stuffing envelopes. And And then a friend of mine moved to Minneapolis. And I was like, and and all of the comics that I started with in Madison moved to Chicago. So I was like, oh, yeah, get out of there. Don't go to Chicago. Go to wherever they are not. And so I went to Minneapolis from 90 to 97. In 97, I moved wow. to L.A. Yeah. Oh, wow. You guys were born in 97, right? Or... No. <laughs> uh, 85. Close. Oh, nice work. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a geriatric millennial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a geriatric Gen X, I think. <laughs> it's funny, though, because you look very young. Do you get that a lot? I have the Zoom setting. So it almost removes your nose. <laughs> like it takes all of the wrinkles out. <laughs> it's, uh, and like I gained, I gained some weight during COVID. Very, very irritating. And, but I also like, I, I want to lose weight, but I know that the aging process would be made so much more stark if I weighed like the, like 150, like what I'm supposed to weigh, right? I think I'm supposed to weigh 130, but who cares? Right. I've never weighed one. Well, I, I feel you. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Uh, so, and that would be fine. I would still be loved. Yes. And there's nothing to be done. There's nothing to be done. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely never going to be booked as the ingenue in the upcoming Hallmark special anyway. So it's, it's all good. Uh, though I would like to see that. Uh, now I kind of want to know like, what your, what your Hallmark, uh, Hallmark holiday special would be about. Oh, my gosh. You know, my brother loves them and Jen Kirkman loves them. And they've both been on the Dork Forest. Last last December was an amazing back to back Hallmark Christmas special. If you want to listen to some Dork Forest <laughs> and just cherry pick, I can only I they were epic. I had to watch quite a few of those at some point for my I worked in marketing at Paramount for like six years. And at one point, like when we were like doing acquisitions of like smaller titles that we were going to distribute, uh, there was a bunch of like Mar Vista ones, which are a lot of like the Hallmark ones. Yeah. So they'd be like, they didn't want to watch it to see if we should distribute it. So they <laughs> send it, give it to me. And uh, most of them were pretty bad, though. There was a pretty good Hallmark one. It was a, a family who like uh, goes to a cabin for Christmas and they end up like 
getting snowed in with this other family whose car was stranded. <laughs> and then at the end of it, you find out the other family is dead. There are Hallmark um, mystery, Christmas mysteries, I think. Ooh. There's two different channels now. Oh my what? God. What? Yeah, yeah. There's the two Hallmark di- mystery channel? Yeah, there's two different channels. And Whoa. I think they're Christmas mysteries, but I'm not certain. But whatever it is, Jen Kirkman got to write one. <gasps> oh, my gosh. It's going to air. On December 19th, I believe, on Hallmark. Oh, hell yeah. That's hell yeah. I, we got we to watch that. We yeah, got to interview her out. so we can find out how it was living her dream. Right, right, right. <laughs> I know, right? And my brother had a spreadsheet about how much they cost to make. Stop. They make they they each yeah because he's an econ professor, and uh, and who the directors are and who the actors are and and most of them are shot in Canada, and all these things. And it was I was like I want to ask about uh, okay so what's the difference for you between being dorky about something and being a nerd about it? Nothing. Nothing. There's dorks and nerds and geeks, and I use them interchangeably. There are separate definitions of them. I don't care. Uh, the reason it's named the Dork Forest is because that was in the joke. Yeah. I wrote a joke in like the late '90s, early 2000s. That was on my 2003 Comedy Central special, and the and the premise was how far into the Dork Forest because I'm a dork and a nerd and a geek. How far into the Dork Forest would I go to find someone I would not hang out with? That was the premise. And then I describe those goofuses. And um, and so then when it came to have a podcast, I was like, I think I'm just going to call it the Dork Forest and interview people about what they love. Fuck yeah. That's great. That's a, my dad is a computer guy. And growing up, he used to insist because uh, we call him a dork. And he was like, no, I'm a geek. Computer people are geeks. Do you know what he is? He's a literalist. Yeah. Is what he really is. And uh, you're like, go for it, brother. Uh, <laughs> my my ex was uh, my ex husband was very much a nerd, uh, and uh, that gentleman also a didactic pedant. So it's just like I was like, I don't I don't need to be lectured. I literally I just want to celebrate the thing you like. Like, and it's so funny because I'll interview people, and you can't turn some people off, right? And everybody gets an out. You get an hour. I can I can at least I and I'm not feigning interest. I am interested in whatever weird thing you're interested in, especially if you could go in depth or give me some sort of minutia. Uh, Emma oh, spacing. Why would I space her last name? She's a great comic from Boise. Uh, bees. She talked about bees for an hour. It was outstanding. Wow. Yep. Bees are truly fascinating, though. Mm-hmm. And I want to get Emily Heller on to talk about gardening. Oh. I've had Karen Rodowski on at least three or four times talking about paranormal stuff, but it's always fun. Like, my husband's been on a bunch. He just started a podcast, I think, about a year ago because hell froze over. And um, <laughs> he makes video games for a living. And one of his one of his friends is a philosophy professor. And so they do a, a, a video game. It's called Ethics and Video Games. Cool. Ethics and Oh, cool. He makes video games, but he also teaches part-time at this uh, tech university. And I know this is shocking to no one, but there is, like none of the large companies have an ethics department like PlayStation. Huh. Or, and he's worked I at mean, Dreamcast and PlayStation, Disney, um, video games, THI, you know, uh, THQ. It's weird since, you know, it's all about ethics and video games. <laughs> the games age out faster than comedy, yeah. you know? Like they don't, like when you when you listen to somebody's uh, stand-up album from 97, you're like, yikes. But if you play a video game from 97, you're like, fuck you. 
you can, yeah, you can, really. why don't you all eat a bullet? Because uh, <laughs> uh, you're the worst. And yeah. do you have, do you have some like material from years past that you're like, oh, wish I didn't say that? I have one unfortunate uh, bonus track that's on, I think, the Circus People album, and it's about Liberia. Yeah. Anyway. So it's literally, I think. Why don't you tell it? (laughs) it, And it isn't horrible. Like, I don't say it. It's just, it's unfortunate and dumb. Like, it isn't, it didn't, it's a bonus track because it wasn't very good. Literally, the perspective of it was so jacked that you're like, it's none of your business. How about that? That, you know, you ever try to do a joke and you're like, that's none of my business. And then like the they, them, the gender sexuality thing that's on my new album. Some people like when I, it took that joke took three years to write because when I first started writing it, I was trying to explain what I was feeling and how I felt about many of those different words and how that wasn't there when I was a kid and how great it is that it's there and how much I, I own, I own some of that, that, that language myself. But I've kind of aged out of it. And so, so sad, too bad. And so all of these things. So when I first started talking about it, some of the younger comics, great younger comics, like some of the, you know, like we're in a golden age of stand-up comic, right? Comedy for the last 20 odd years. And it's gone from amazing bearded youth dudes to amazing women. Like my favorite comics right now are women comics. And a couple of them came up to me three years ago like at separate shows, in separate instances, out of the blue, just to go, your heart's in the right place. I know what you're trying to say. You're actually coming from it from a bad angle. Somebody else said it's actually just a little insulting or there's some condescension. There's this, there's like, I got like five or six really good notes on on what the vibe was of the joke. And so jokes take they have to be massaged, especially if you're going to discuss big issues or big things that are in sort of the zeitgeist that are that are cultural changing right now, where you're like, you're and I and you don't want to be a dick. And to do that, it takes time and it takes patience, and you have to be able to listen and you have to be able to hear what is being said to you by someone that isn't you. And you we're not used to that. We're comics. This is my my vision, man. It's my vision. Yeah. When Amy Miller, Lydia Popovich, Marcella Arguello, and several other people come up to you, Winter Spears, and um, like just come up to you and go, this is great. But there's just, and you're like, okay, just tell me, tell me what you saw or heard or felt. And I will see if I can adjust it because I want to do this bit. And you can hear it in the joke. It is very massaged. Um, Yeah, you can tell that I've worked on it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's very clean. It's like, uh, it it's tight. communicates, it's tight. Yeah. And it effectively communicates, I think, exactly what you want to communicate. And it, it's a beautiful joke. Yeah. It's an extremely well-written joke. And I love hearing the story of how a joke gets sort of like from its original, yeah. like kind of muddy place yeah. to how it becomes a fucking clean, tight joke. With punchlines and tags yes. and yes. interesting story in the middle of it. And Honestly, I related to that joke so hard uh, when you say uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be either a little boy, a grown woman or Snoopy. Snoopy. Yes, a little boy, a grown woman or Snoopy. <laughs> it's um, 
amazing. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Yeah. It's pretty great. Uh, you're a good yes. man. Charlie Brown was like my favorite music <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, if you think about it, Snoopy's awesome. And Snoopy's awesome. Snoopy yeah. is pretty awesome. I'm st- I feel like I'm, st- I'm still kind of taking in this like information about, you know, uh, how, like, how fucking cool that is that you were in this place where, you know, you, you've collaborated with these people, you've built these relationships with these, with these women who felt comfortable enough to tell you and give you that feedback and that you listened to it and figured out the way to make it work and that you didn't just take the, the easy road. Like you took, you took the three year journey to get <laughs> to where you wanted your, where your intention was. And, and- that's impressive. It's still, it's still getting better. That joke, that joke. Yeah. It's you know, but you have to record eventually. Yes. Eventually, <laughs> you have to put out a new album, <laughs> and so and and so you just you can't. You're like I could massage that joke forever, and it has offshoots already. You know, as soon as you write the joke, you're like, oh, this is a better way to put that, and then you're like, so sad, too bad. It's on the, and then you get, and then the live experience changes because of it, you know? And that's a good thing for people to come see the, the live experience. And, but I will say, like, I had a joke about on Horcrux, which is mm, two albums ago, I guess. And it was about, um, having sex with my husband and, um, I cried because he touched me in a weird way, which reminded me of a bad sexual experience. Because, and this was a joke that I, that took, uh, this is another bit that took a long time to do. And it mostly got good responses from people. But one time a woman came up to me and was like, you know, I was sexually assaulted. And that joke was really triggering. And I said, yeah, me too. That's why I did that joke. And so I'm not above being irritated by feedback either you know i mean i i am a human uh i will i will be as good a person as i can but i'm also going to be you know sometimes i'm going to be irritated with with but it is it's a learned skill to listen to people and 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 it's i don't know it's have progress not perfection you guys <laughs> So have you done improv then? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> You're going to like this next segment we call These Are Five Things, where we ask you five questions that we ask all of our uh, amazing comedians who come on. So our first question for you is, uh, what, uh, what's what been your biggest influence in comedy? Oh, uh, I would say for the last 20 years, it would be Maria Bamford. Her writing is more interesting. Her uh, direction is more courageous. Her point of view and her intention is more heartfelt. And it taught me all of that. Yeah. Was there like a, a conscious moment where you're like, oh. No. Yeah. Just, just now. Just building. Just, just now. Just yeah. now? <laughs> cool. You're like, oh, Maria Bamford. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause, well, because people are always like, who's your favorite comic? And I always say Maria. And I don't really have a reason. But that's the reason. It's because she affected my stand-up. She made my stand-up better. Yeah? I got nothing else for that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jack, you you can go in either order. What would you say has been your best experience in comedy or your worst experience in comedy? There's a couple of bests, right, that are kind of, in retrospect, in the moment they were, were, it was hard. I did a nine-week tour of Australia, and that was amazing. 
I got to go fly and drive all over Australia and work with international and Australian comics that were incredibly gifted and very different and weird and awesome. And that was the Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow in 2005, I think. And, um, and another one was when I got to go to Iraq with Scott Kennedy in like 2006. And they were both super hard as well, right? Nine weeks is too long. They don't do it anymore <laughs> because it's too long. <laughs> and um, it was lonely. They were, some of them were so drunk. There was nothing for me to do. So it was kind of, it was, the, it was too long. And then Iraq was just terrifying, right? I mean, it was cool. The audiences, I learned more about, because I didn't know anything about the armed forces before I went. I uh, just, from the commercials, that's what I, I had seen. <laughs> it's a, I, I understand it's an adventure. And uh, so. An opportunity to see the world. Yes. 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 <laughs> and so, so I, I got a closer look at these very young people who, uh, for the most part, just want to be of service and ended up in a war zone, you know, killing, being killed, being maimed, being hurt, being terrified. And it was terrifying because there were a lot of blowing things blowing up around you. And you were like, I don't, this isn't ideal. And, but I'm glad I did it, you know, because I learned so much and I'm glad you know, and they were so, you know, so happy to see anybody that wasn't their buddy, right? Somebody from home, even if it was just their favorite aunt, you know, they're just like, let's do this. And uh, so those are, those are two. So those are best moments. And worst. And worst kind of wrapped up in the same. Yeah. Because that's the thing about stand-up, because stand-up is, is a, it's a, I'm not going to, it's a two-sided, no. Anyway, so it's like, <laughs> it's it's everything, but it should not be everything. For so long, I, it was absolutely everything in my life because I got everything from it. I got my self-esteem. I got my friends. Um, I was closer to comics than I were to most members of my family. You know, uh, the only person, my sister insisting, that we still stay close, uh, hilarious. <laughs> she was like, I was told that we had to be friends. So why don't you keep it together, Jackie? Because we are friends. And uh, <laughs> I love my sister. She is so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's awesome. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so it's both. Yeah. <sighs> I like that take on it because the best is often the worst, right? And the, I don't know, and stand up, I don't know, it's so, it's so vulnerable. It's like you're trying to get as truthful as possible. Mm, yeah, I like that. I'm going to think about this for a while. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to ask you to <laughs> uh, hype up a friend. Burr, 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 burr. Like maybe some, burr, burr. some somebody or some people that you really, really like and admire their work uh, and maybe would uh, like for us to also interview? Oh, well, I mean, there's so many great new young comics out there. And like Emily Heller doesn't need the bump. She's working. But and and some of them are blowing up hardcore. It's like, but if you think of like Brandy Posey 
and Carmen Morales, and there's just, and, and like Brandy has an album on, I think it was like two or three years ago that it came out, but it was so good. And I truly, and, uh, and Carmen doesn't have an album up, but she's got, she just recorded, filmed her first 15 minute special on HBO. So that's neat. Um, Winter Spears is really funny. Um, she's going to feature for me, um, in Milwaukee in December 17th and 18th at the Laughing Tap. Which the is... Laughing Tap. That's right. <laughs> That's... The Laughing Tap. Uh, tap, tap. Mil- yeah, tap. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, December 17th <laughs> and 18th. <laughs> tap that manna. Do it. <laughs> and uh, so, but it, um, and I know I'm forgetting people, but I mean, like, there's people like Aaron Jackson. She's epic. And speaking of Aaron's, always Aaron Foley comes to mind, who is LA comic and is and is amazing. There's just it's just gold. But and one of my favorite comics who happens to be a straight white guy, Chad Daniels. Those are some people that you should totally find and love. Since you've had a pretty long, as we talked about earlier, very prolific career in stand-up, but what's something you haven't done yet that you are eager to do uh or is kind of like a bucket list thing for you well those assholes at the improv could book me but the thing is that seems brutal but uh the you know like the big the big chains i don't work the big chains of stand-up comedy like like the hollywood improv books me but like the fun the 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 improvs and like there's 11 of them yeah (laughs) so and and they and they headline you know, I think I accidentally, because Kill Martin will make me look shit up like this. Just and she's not making me. She's just talking about. Sometimes she'll talk about sort of the disparity of men to women and great, co- you know. And so I'll be like, I wonder how many, you know, eleven, eleven comedy clubs, fifty-two weeks. Let's say fifty with, um, because of holidays. Possibility of a, it was, I forget the exact math of it, but there was a possibility of 192 headline weekends. And they had 15 women comics between the 11 clubs in 192 slots. Jesus. And I was like, I do stand up comedy. You could book, you could, because there's a club in, in Michigan. I remember Roger Feeney, and I'm working it next, next, spring he might still do it and i'm still happy he does it but he literally in the 90s told me yeah i like to book one woman headliner a month which i was like that's awesome yes. but if you look uh, at it right but if you look at the math that's 12 out of 50 and if you are anything but white if you're anything but straight and if you're uh, and there's all those dude spots like, there may not be any men of color. There may not be any, you know, uh, uh, like gay or whatever, you know, anything more interesting than, you know, 42 straight white guys. <laughs> so, and they're not, and it's not that, the, that there aren't very, there's a pile of very funny straight white guys. I'm just going to say, I think it's nuts that we are talking to Jackie Cation and your bucket list thing is to be booked at the fucking improv. Yes! Yes! Fuck them! I mean, my mind is Yeah, you are, you are correct, my, actually. My that should not be. And this is that like, I'm yeah. a pulse. Yes! <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God! You 
Yeah, correct. Like, I bet you I can find another venue in Tampa. Fucking <laughs> yeah. oh, job. You know, like your thing should be like your bucket list item should be like getting to star in, you know, the Jackie. Vacation sitcom. Yeah, on HBO. Yeah. Whatever the fuck you want. You know, you're right. I would actually, Kate, I would like that, actually. That that is now my bucket list. I've learned another thing talking to you guys is that what I would like is HBO to just say, you can do whatever you want for an hour. Oh and, my uh, god! Yes. That'd be amazing. Yes. I want really that for be. you. I want that. So much. <laughs> they have the money, right? The money's there. I want. Here's what I want: the guy who, who animated one of my bits from work, from Bread, I think it was three years ago. It's a. Uh, it's about p- people who have pets in Los Angeles. It's, it's called L.A. Pets. If you YouTube Google Jackie Cation L.A. <laughs> pets, you can see an animated bit from my Bread album. And oh, I'm pretty sure I've seen this. Yeah, actually. the animation is outstanding. Greg yeah. Franklin and Six Point Express are goddamn geniuses. They won an Oscar two years ago or last year for Hair Love, which was oh, a short about a little yes. girl. Yeah, yes, I love and, that. Yeah, and they did my what are my jokes? They did Tig Nataro's. He he animated Tig Nataro's new special that's on HBO. Oh, oh fuck yes, and. I sent him a cut. Co- I was like, he's super, he won an Oscar. Did you guys hear? Uh, he's super busy. <laughs> he's Greg Franklin, super busy. So I sent him staycation and I was like, anything? Is there anything that you'd be willing? I would be willing to pay you because it costs a lot of money. It's a team. It takes three months. It's, yeah. you know, to, to do, even if they pre-Oscar, I think it was like eight grand to do a three minute bet. So, um, but what he did in LA Pets, I would, that's what I would love. I would love to work with his team again to do an animated series. And uh, I'd like to do more voiceover work. I would like a horse. Um, I, <laughs> uh, now I'm just looking at my vision board. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, that's awesome. Oh, all right. Final question What advice do you have? For new comedians or comedians who are already in the throes of it. Do not forget to have fun. Do every audition, do every show. I know the stakes are higher when you're on TV. I know the stakes are higher when it's an audition for something, a showcase. But remember why you do stand-up. It's to have fun. And if you could remember that, you will do better. And if you don't, and if you don't get the gig, but you had fun, you already won. You've already beat the fuckers. Bill Dwyer came off stage from Last Comic Standing. We were all so nervous. I literally had so much gas. When I get <laughs> when I get nervous, I tend to fart. And uh and I I was just in a cloud like pig pen. And of my own <laughs> <laughs> and Bill was right before me and he came off stage and he grabbed me his shoulders, made a little bit of a face. Uh, but he grabbed both of my shoulders and he said, here's the great thing. When you get out there, it's just stand-up comedy. And I was like, right. So if you could say the first couple of words, get them out of your joke hole, right? Start talking. Then, I, then And remember to have fun. That's what I would recommend. Do every show for the fun of it if you can. That's great advice. Excellent advice from an excellent person. And fabulous fucking comedian. Yes. Jackie, you are so funny. It was so... 
so inspiring and awesome to have you on the podcast. Yes. I, Thanks for having me. I can't believe I got to talk to you. Yeah, this is real. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is amazing. Well, you guys come out in the dark forest if you want. You can talk oh about whatever gosh. weird thing you want to talk about. Oh, my God. Has anybody done Kids in the Hall yet? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? And, I, I, and I've never seen it. Oh, you've never seen it? I've seen I've seen clips, obviously, and I and I've met Dave Foley a bunch of times. It's got what's his face, and, and they're both yes. super funny and super nice. Yeah. But yeah. I uh, sketch comedy; it's very hard for me. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, just because I need the joke, I need the joke to happen, be done, and then strike the set, new set. Which is why I don't watch SNL either, but I have seen yeah. clips on YouTube. So oh, fascinating, yeah. fascinating stuff about a fascinating woman. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Jackie. Uh, it was this has just been awesome. I, I can't believe we got to have you. Thanks for having. Me. It's been a delight. Thank you. Oh my gosh, dude. I genuinely can't believe we had Jackie on the podcast. She is like just such a fucking like, I don't even like a powerhouse of a stand up. You know what I yes. mean? It's just it yes. feels very surreal to have gotten to talk to her. Yes. Like a like a true like a like a craft worker of it. You know, like there's some people who there's there are people who do stand up who love it. And then there are the people who do stand up who like work at it and like really really think about it and uh try to like craft the perfect joke and i really admire that about uh jackie i really uh also my mind is fucking blown that her immediate response to bucket list item was to headline at the improv like what the fuck? Some fucking bullshit right there is what that yes, is. Like, I just want to break through the glass ceiling. I was like, really? Like, you're Jackie Cation. Like, what the fuck? Like, you're a god. And she's hilarious. And it kills me. Is she, she talked about, like, not headlining the, the major chains. And you think about, yeah. like, people like Chris D'Elia get a fucking residency at the comedy store, like, and can yeah. perform there. I mean, not anymore because he got me too. But, like, previous to that. He could just get up whatever the fuck he wanted, and it's like, yep. it, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it, it blows my mind. Yeah, that was a that was a crazy thing to hear. It yeah. like it was a crazy thing to hear. Yeah, I did not know at first if she was joking, and then I, I was know, like, same. no, she's for real. Like, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm glad that we were like, wait. <laughs> You deserve so much more than that. She's like, yes, I do. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, you oh do. Oh my god, for real. Ugh. But yeah, she's she's amazing. I liked what she said about Maria Bamford too, because yeah, Maria is really also very very special, and I can't wait until we get her on. I would say Maria Bamford was the first when I started when I discovered stand up. Uh, the Comedy Central presents specials when I was in high school. Maria Bamford's was the first one that I saw where I was like, oh, this is like dark. And cause she, she, I think she touches on suicide. She talks a lot about her mom. Like there's a lot that happens in that special where I was like, oh, this lady's like, like she, she's taken it there, but she does it in this very playful way. And it's, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah. Like I, I love the idea of Jackie and Maria hanging out together. Cause I'm yes. like, I, I just like, I'm obsessed oh my with God. Ba Maria Bamford so much. And, and then with like, add Lori Kilmartin to the, to the oh mix. I'm God. like, oh, just, 
beautiful, wonderful, hilarious gallows humor. Yes, it's the way I imagine like Hawthorne and Emerson and uh, Herman Melville were all friends. And so I imagine them hanging out in the similar way, just like being awesome. I feel like we're we're kind of like living in that revolution of time that we're in the thick of it, so we can't really quite see that that we're in the thick of it. But there just are, are some really incredible minds that are really wanting to do you know, uh, do wonderful work in art. So we're very lucky. Yeah, we're incredibly lucky. Yeah. Anyways, you're lucky as well because you get to, if you're so inclined, uh, support underrepresented people in podcasting. That's right. With a period podcast network, you can become a part of our Patreon and get exclusive content created by the uh, all of the creators of the different podcasts as part of the network and uh, also if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts you'll be entered into a raffle to win something really really cool. Yes we uh, have not picked our prize for the raffle this month just yet Uh, we just finished our raffle for the Jackie Johnson ass oil and we'll be announcing the winner for that uh, next week and uh, we haven't picked our gift yet but we will be picking a winner for whatever the raffle is for December. We'll be picking that in early January. And hey, everybody. Keep crushing it. <laughs> Comedy Girl Crush was created by Nikki Urban, is edited by Kate Siegel, is produced by Kate Siegel, Kenzie Mazel, and the Period Podcast Network. Our music is by Rena Hunter, and our artwork is by Ariel Alter. Ariel Alter.